John chapter 1. Um, this is our sixth week in the Gospel of John, and we're finishing up chapter 1. Just 20 more chapters to go after this, after this uh, week, so we're on pace, you know, for a couple years worth of John. The goal is to finish John 3 by Easter this year. That's, that's you know, where we're headed, and then we'll take a little bit of a break after Easter and come back to John. So we're in John chapter 1. The first 18 verses of John are, are the prologue, John's um, almost poetry um, description of who Jesus is. As he can summarize who Jesus is, he says he's the Word. He is with God. He was God, that Jesus um, that God has, has, the word has made become flesh and has, has um, displayed the glory of God among us. And so um, the first 18 verses are, are that prologue, it's called, where John is, is laying out for us right from the outset who he believes Jesus to be. And then he begins to build the case for why and illustrate why he believes that to be. The first 12 chapters of, of John are really organized around seven signs that Jesus does that illustrate who he is in the eyes of John. And John writes to us in the end of his gospel, he says, there's many other signs that Jesus did, and, um, and I could have written those, but he says these are written so that you would believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And we're going to see the first sign uh, of Jesus next week, um, where he at uh, the uh, wedding feast in, in, the city of, in the town of Cana turns water into wine. So we'll look at that uh, next week. But the uh, rest of chapter 1, after, uh, after verse 18, is about the first disciples of Jesus. We have uh, John the Baptist, who's different than John the author. John the, John the author is one of the uh, disciples of Jesus who followed him throughout his ministry. He was Jesus' closest friend, actually. John the Baptist is um, kind of like a cousin to Jesus, um, a distant relative. And John the Baptist fulfilled a role of a forerunner to the Messiah, to the coming Savior. And John the Baptist bears witness that Jesus is indeed that Messiah, is indeed the Christ, is indeed the anointed one, that a long-awaited Savior. And that um, John the Baptist and witnesses we've seen to two of his disciples, one of them is Andrew, likely the other is John the author, um, that Jesus is indeed the Lamb of God, and he says, you should follow him. And so Andrew and the other disciple of John begin and, and to follow Jesus. And the first thing Andrew does is Andrew goes to his brother Simon and introduces Simon to Jesus. Jesus renames him Peter, which means the rock. Um, and so now we're going to pick up from there. We're going to pick up from there as... Um, Jesus continues to call out his followers and gain some disciples. So verse 43 of John chapter 1. The next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, follow me. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. Philip found Nathanael and told him, We have found the one Moses wrote about in the law, and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nazareth? Can anything good come from there? Nathaniel asked. Come and see, Philip said. When, he saw, when Jesus saw Nathaniel approaching, he said of him, Here's a true Israelite, in whom there is nothing false. 
How do you know me? Nathanael asked. Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. Then Nathanael declared, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Jesus said, you believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree. You shall see greater things than that. He then added, I tell you the truth. You shall see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. This is the word of God. So I want us to notice, um, as as we kind of launch into this, as we finish chapter 1, I want us to notice um, some particular details that we've seen throughout um, this first chapter. And um, in and of themselves, I've kind of not... um, not highlighted them, but but it's significant. If you look, if you're if you're still in John chapter one, and I, inv- I encourage you to keep it open there because I'm going to be referring back to this a lot today. If you look at verse 19, um, that that we have John the Baptist or Jesus, an interaction between John the Baptist and um, and some Pharisees, right? Uh, the Pharisees had come to, or a delegation from the Pharisees had come to ask. John the Baptist, uh, who he was. Well, then in verse 29, it says, The next day John saw Jesus coming toward him. All right, so we've got day one, we've got John the Baptist. Day two, we've got Jesus um, coming uh, towards John. We have an interaction between John and Jesus. Verse 35, the next day John was there again with his disciples. So again, we've got now day three of uh, Jesus' ministry, really, of this uh, interaction that John is recording for us. Verse 39, that um, we saw that John, or Andrew and the other disciple uh, came and started to follow Jesus, and they asked, where are you staying? And they came with him to where he was staying. It was about the 10th hour, which is 4 o'clock, time for the evening meal, time for um, the, the assumption then is that these disciples spent the night um, at the place where Jesus was staying. And then the next day, Andrew goes to Simon, verse 40, um, his brother, and introduced him to Jesus. Well, verse 43, which is where our text this morning begins, again, the next day. So we're kind of at, you know, day four of, of this account. Chapter two um, actually opens, and um, we'll talk a little bit about that next week again, but on the third day, so we'll talk about, you know, I thought we are on day four already, and now it's next, talking about the third day. We'll get to that. Um, next week, but the the thing I w- and I want us to um, just to highlight is is the level of detail that John the Baptist is recording here. John the Bap- or John the author, I always mix that up. John the author is recording all kinds of details and and he w- uh, that have all the hallmarks of eyewitness accounts. He's saying it happened this day, and then this happened the next day, and the next day this happened, and it was four o'clock, and we got to their house. Now, ancient fiction never included that level of detail. Our fiction that we would read, you know, if you're reading your John Grisham novel, it's got the painting these these pictures and all kinds of superfluous details, right? But ancient fiction never had any of those kind of details. This has all of the hallmarks of eyewitness accounts. It's talking about when events happened and where they happened. And it's talking about the the fact that the disciples are, are witnessing these things. But I want us to note especially um, 
the time in which these are happening, that, that John, is, John the author is calling our attention to the, the days and the times and the moments that these events are happening. Now, the, the Bible will talk about time. When the ta- Bible talks about time, it talks about time in two different ways, two different Greek words that would describe time. That the first word is the word chronos, or you know, which w- where we get our word chronological. Um, but the word chronos means you know the sequential time, you know the the seconds and minutes and hours and days and weeks and months and years and decades and centuries that make up our expanse of time. So chronos time is the sequential, you know, minute by minute, minute by minute time. But the Bible also talks about time in terms of kairos, which is uh, talking about a meaningful time, a moment, a, a, a time of great opportunity, a time of, of interruption where everything changes because it's the right time. At a kairos moment, everything changes because it's, it's a, a regular moment, but now it's, the, now it's a moment. Now it's a, a significant moment. Now everything changes because of the timing. And what we see in the scriptures over and over again is that God interrupts chronos minutes with kairos moments. That God interrupts with a kairos moment in the chronos time. And so that as these men are going about their lives, as John and Andrew and Peter and Philip and Nathaniel are going about their lives, living their chronos life, living their mo- the minutes and days and weeks and months of their lives, that there is an interruption, that, that John is p- pulling our attention to the fact that there's these kairos moments, that the, there's these significant events, these interruptions, these divine interruptions in their life, and it becomes a turning point. It becomes a moment. It becomes a marker in their life that afterwards everything is different because of that moment. Because the time was right at that moment that they heard something, they believed something, they followed someone, and everything was different because of that Kairos moment. This divine moment. Jesus in Mark's gospel begins and says the time is fulfilled. The Kairos, that it's a Kairos moment is our beginning and end. Right, this is the right time. This is the moment where everything changes. So I want to see these, we want to see these Kairos moments for these disciples. This this turning point moment in the lives of these disciples, of Philip and Nathaniel and Andrew and Simon and John. We want to see these Kairos moments through three little phrases we see in this text. Follow me, come and see, and greater things. Follow me. Come and see, and greater things. Just to help organize our thoughts, we're going to walk through this this account, this passage. So first of all, follow me. What's to see in this um, text? How how the the word about Jesus spreads? How the disciple the number of disciples of Jesus grows is simply through friends sharing Jesus with their friends. Right, we have, you know, sometimes we talk to our friends about Jesus, and other times we talk to Jesus about our friends. So verse 43 says, The next day Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, follow me. That's actually, um, the, this translation, the New International Version, 
comes down on an ambiguity in the Greek. They, they take a landing place in the Greek on this verse, verse 43, that, um, and they, they that, that verse could mean one of two things, and it's really not clear in the Greek what it means. Um, but the NIV says here that Jesus decided to leave and go to Galilee. But it just says he. It says the next day he, literally in the Greek, decided to go leave for Galilee. And it's not clear. We cannot, no Greek scholar um, can um, identify whether it is Andrew or whether it's Jesus who's deciding to go to Galilee and then who finds Philip. It could, you know, the NIV makes it sound like Jesus decides to go to Galilee and Jesus finds Philip. But it could just as easily be Andrew who's saying, hey, let's go to Galilee. Let's go to my hometown. I know Philip. I want to introduce you to Philip, Jesus. It could just as easily mean that as it means that Jesus left for Galilee. You know, either way, our theology isn't changing on, on anything. But the, the point here is that we see this string of witnesses in John chapter 1, which is why I think I would probably lean, if I, if I were to labor, you know, not that my guess really counts for anything, I'd probably say um, I would lean towards it being Andrew who's seeking Philip because every person in this um, in this chapter who's being introduced to Jesus is being introduced by a previous witness, right? So we have John the Baptist who from the time he was in his mother's womb knew that Jesus was the Christ. We know that from Scripture. So John the Baptist witnesses to Andrew and Andrew witnesses to Simon and Simon witnesses to Philip. And then in our passage, Philip witnesses to Nathaniel. And I think this chapter is, is what is sh showing us in really clear ways is that to be a disciple of Jesus is to be a witness to Jesus. To be a disciple of Jesus is to be a witness of Jesus. In fact, it says uh, of many of them that the first thing they did, that as Andrew followed Jesus, the first thing he did was introduce Simon, his brother, to Peter. Philip becomes a disciple of Jesus, and the first thing he does, the inter the the, the emphasis is, is the first thing he does is he goes to Nathaniel and shares the good news with Nathaniel. The, the, this chapter is, is sharing with us that to be a disciple of Jesus, to follow Jesus, is to be a witness of Jesus. And so all of these disciples have a Kairos moment where they hear Jesus say to them, follow me. Follow me. It's an invitation as much as it is a command. And they say yes. And, and that's been the same ever since for every follower of Jesus. That the time has come, the moment has come, the day has come, a Kairos moment has come where you've heard Jesus say to you, follow me, and you respond and you say yes, follow me. And you've been working it out ever since. Because when we say, yes, I'll follow you, we don't have everything down. We don't have all of our facts right. In fact, you know, we'll see later on, Philip has got a couple of facts about Jesus wrong. He says he's from, he says, Jesus of Nazareth, son of Joseph. You can make the case that Jesus isn't from Nazareth and he's not the son of Joseph. He's the son of God. He's not Joseph's son. 
but he's got the person right. He's got the person right. He's got some facts wrong, but he's got, he's got some facts. He's got the person right. And Jesus says that's a good start, right? You may have some things wrong. You don't know all that it means to, when you begin to follow Jesus. You don't know all what it means to follow him. But if you have the identity of Jesus down right, then it's a good start. You know his identity. You know he's the Messiah. You know he's the Savior. And that's a good start, too. And we work it out ever since, ever since we have that Kairos moment. So following Jesus is not a one-time event. It's an ongoing reality. And Jesus, I want us to note, because he doesn't just want us to believe in him. He wants us to follow him. He wants to change our lives. He wants us to interact with him. He wants us to interact with him in a relationship, in a, in a, in a moment of relationship of following him like a student follows his teacher. It's, it's kind of like the difference between, you know, maybe you're, uh, you have a favorite author, um, and, and you know, John Doe is your, is your favorite author, and, and you join the John Doe fan club, and you are a member of, the John, of a John Doe book club, and, and you're just so influenced by the writings of, of this John Doe. And you can say that, you know, you and John Doe have some sort of relationship and you really believe in him. You think, you know, his ideas are compelling and he's had this great influence on you, his writings. Ma imagine that John Doe visits your book club. Wow, what, a, what an impact that that has on your book club. That now that you have, you've actually got some personal interaction with him. But now imagine you're married to him. And so, ev ladies, um, every aspect of your life is now influenced by John Doe. That's the kind of relationship Jesus has in view when he says, come and follow me. Don't just believe in me. Don't, don't just take what, just don't be, a, don't be a member of my fan club. Don't just um, think I'm really smart. Don't just believe in what I say, but have every uh, moment and every facet of your life be influenced by who I am and what I am all about. That's what it means to follow Jesus, to be changed by Jesus, that to be in relationship that encompasses every sphere of your life. And so Philip, the first thing he does is he finds, he finds Nathaniel and he says, Philip found Nathaniel and told him, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. I find it kind of funny. Nathaniel goes to Philip and says, we have found. Well, who found Jesus? Well, Philip did. Andrew did. But it's interesting. I think it's not, uh, it's not coincidental that, Phil, that Philip goes to Nathaniel and doesn't say, I found the Messiah. I found the one that all the Hebrew scriptures were writing about, this one whom we were anticipating, this Savior, this Lord, this coming King. We f I found him. He says, no, we have found him. When you, when you come to Jesus, when you become a disciple of Jesus, your I becomes your I. Your I becomes your I. We'll talk about that more. We'll see that again later in this passage. But he says, we found 
this long-awaited Savior. They've been waiting. They've been looking. They've been waiting for a Savior, this one who would come to right all wrongs, who who would come to solve all their problems, this one who would come to reestablish the kingdom to Israel, set up a kingdom, And so this this statement that Philip makes to Nathanael is just a statement that's so pregnant with hope that all of their hopes are tied up in this Messiah who would to come, this man who would come, this liberator, this Savior who was to come. And so there's this great hope tied up in this statement. Nathanael says, he's Jesus. He's Jesus of Nazareth, the King of Israel. disciple, to follow Jesus is to be a witness. And it's all within existing relationships. You notice that? That, that Andrew and Simon had a pre-existing relationship. They were brothers. Andrew introduces Jesus likely to Philip because they're from the same hometown. They know each other. There's this existing pre-existing relationship. There's nothing odd about this. Philip goes to Nathaniel. There's nothing strange. There's nothing weird about sharing people with whom you have relationships, pre-existing relationships. There's nothing weird about sharing the good news of who you believe Jesus to be and who you follow in life. Like that's not that's not weird at all. The weird thing would be to hide that, to say, well, that's not that, that, that's that important. I don't need to talk to you about Jesus. I keep that in this compartment of my life over here, but we have this relationship over here, and it's business or it's... Uh, recreational it's it's for fun we hang out but no jesus is all things all areas of our lives and so it's not strange at all to share the most influential person in your life with someone who with whom you have a pre-existing relationship it's not strange at all we're going to get to the weird stuff like this book is full of weird stuff and we're going to get there but but that's that's not weird at all that's not strange that's not spectacular at all, just to share Jesus and to process Jesus with your friends. All right, come and see. Come and see. Jesus says, follow me. Philip says, come and see. So Nathaniel, it's hard to interpret this response, but Nathaniel's response is, Nazareth? Can anything good come from there? It's kind of funny. It's actually, I think, meant to be, I think it's meant to be funny. Funny always wins for me, so I think it's funny. He could have honest objections. We'll we'll get to that in a minute, but I think it's funny. I think he's saying, you know what, Nowheresville? How could anything good come from Nowheresville? Nazareth is not a cool place. So we've been, our kids play hockey, and um, we've had to make a couple of trips to Dunville, um, this year, I'm not about to make fun of Dunville. I'm not about to make fun of Dunville. I'm about to make fun of another town. Um, so on the way to Dunville, you, you're driving down Can- Canberra Road, and if you blink, you'll miss it, but there's a town called Boyle. Like, I think Boyle is like the Nazareth. Boyle, Boyle's Niagara's Nazareth, right? Do you know anyone from Boyle? And it's like a weird name, right? Boyle. Like, I think... I think if, if I think it's like the next prime minister of Canada is growing up in Boyle right now. I you say really that sounds that sounds weird, right? Or Dunville, what whatever. Um, I think that's what he's saying. He's like now Na- you know Nazareth is this backwater hick town, 
Can anything good, can anything significant, can anyone significant come out of Nazareth? It doesn't fit in his box. He's expecting the Messiah to come from a significant place. Jerusalem, close to the temple. Coming up under the teachers of the law, being discipled by them. That's where he would come from. Or Bethlehem. David's city, the royal city. Shouldn't he be from Bethlehem? Isn't that what the prophet said? And so there's some skepticism. But what we have to appreciate about Nathaniel is that it was an open and an honest skepticism. An open and honest skepticism is never criticized in the scriptures. Nathaniel isn't saying... I would never follow a man from Nazareth. He's not saying that because he ends up following a man from Nazareth. He's not saying, I would never follow a man from Nazareth. He's not saying things like, I could never serve a God who blank, blank, blank. I could never follow a God who would allow blank to happen. He's not saying that. He's skeptical, but he's open. See, we should never put limitations on God that he is not unlimited. See, I think, I think Nathaniel's question, while funny, is an honest question. I think he's saying, shouldn't the Messiah come from Bethlehem? Isn't that where he's prophesied to be born? And Nathaniel, as we see, doesn't wear skepticism as his identity. Some people will wear their skepticism as their identity, that they will not believe no matter the evidence, no matter the, 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 they're not willing to really engage in honest conversation to doubt their doubts. See, that was the Pharisees. The Pharisees, the Pharisees were unwilling to doubt their doubts. The Pharisees, the religious leaders, were not willing to engage in honest dialogue. You see, when the, when the Pharisees were presented um, and they believed you are not the Christ, you are not from God, and Jesus performed signs and wonders in their presence that pointed to his identity as being the Messiah, as being the one from God. They, the Pharisees were like, oh, um, um, so you must be doing that by the devil then. Like they were not willing to engage the evidence. Nathaniel was willing at least to engage. His was an honest an intelligent skepticism, which is never condemned. You see, there's great reasons for not believing. There's great reasons for not believing. There's great reasons for not believing Jesus. I just think there's better reasons for believing. Which is why I can't learn this where we learn it. And Philip, though, like, let's notice what Philip says. Philip says the three magic words, right? He doesn't, Philip doesn't start saying, you know, Nathaniel, um, you're wrong about this reason and this reason for this reason. He doesn't condemn him and say, well, 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 forget you then. I'll go find someone else who will follow Jesus with me. He just says these magic three words, come and see. Just come and see. Which are the same three words that Jesus said to Andrew and the other disciples in John's gospel. 
inviting him into a context of further dialogue and further relationship can develop. Philip, maybe Philip's stumped. Maybe Philip doesn't know the answer to this good question. Again, the Messiah is supposed to come from Bethlehem. I don't know why he chooses of Nazareth. Come and see. Let's go find out. Let's investigate together. Let's engage in open, honest dialogue about this. Philip doesn't need to know all the answers. Nathaniel asks a good question to which Philip doesn't know the answer. And his response is, well, come and see. You see, come and see is just this beautiful, invitational, no boundary response. There is no bounds to come and see. There's no ethnic bounds, no socioeconomic status boundaries. There's no gender boundaries. There's no marital status boundaries. Anyone can come. Come and see. Come and investigate. Come and let's, in relationship, process this with your friends and figure out what this is all about. See if there's some answers to that question. So then Jesus, greater things. Jesus promises greater things. Sure am. When Jesus, verse 47, when Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said of him, here is a true Israelite in whom there's nothing false. So there's a few things we have to, to understand this, the rest of this passage. This is, there's a lot of Old Testament references here that we need to understand. And if you're new to the Bible, then that's great. You're, and hopefully we can unpack this together in these, the next couple of minutes here as well. But so in John's gospel, we would expect um, Jesus to say uh, to Nathaniel and address Nathaniel as a Jew. But he calls him an Israelite calls him an Israelite, it refers to a Jew. And we'll see, you know, Jesus is generally referred to in John when we're talking about his kingship, he's king of the Jews. But here, Nathaniel calls him, in a later verse here, the king of Israel. So what's the, there's a, there's an emphasis here on Israel as opposed to being Jew. Well, who is Israel? Israel was a man, a patriarch of um, the, the people of Israel. The, the people of Israel are known as the, the children of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Jacob, which is a, is a name that means deceiver. Jacob was um, the son of Isaac. He was a twin. Born, uh, his twin brother Esau was born first, and Jacob was born holding on to the heel of Esau. And so Jacob is known um, as someone who's always trying to get ahead. Someone who's always trying to trip up his brother Esau. Someone who's willing to scheme and twist and deceive. He's a schemer, deceiver, and twister of the truth. And he, we know, if you know the story, he, tr he deceives his brother Esau twice. He, he steals, um, he, he deceives Esau and gets Esau to um, sell his birthright. And then at the end of Isaac's life, he, he, gets, he, he deceives his father, Isaac, to give him the blessing that is due to the firstborn, that's due to Esau. And so Jacob, um, you know, sometimes, he, sometimes Esau is criticized for he shouldn't have sold his birthright. But really the emphasis in the text is that Jacob is being a jerk. Jacob is, is a deceiver, a twister, a schemer. And he has to flee. And, and as he flee, is fleeing, and he's, he, he, because Esau wants to kill him, he's eventually coming back. And as he's coming back later, on in life, he wrestles with the shadowy figure who he later identifies as God himself. Who, you know, I don't know, puts, 
Esau or uh, Israel's or J- Jacob's hip out of joint, and he renames him Israel, which means one who wrestles with God, one who interacts with God. And all throughout the Old Testament, when Jacob is the is the deceitful uh, schemer, and Israel is the is the one who's who's wrestling with God, who's true and faithful. Jesus says, as Nathaniel approaches, Jesus says to him, you're, you're, you're all Israel, and there's no deceit in you. There's nothing false. There's, King, there's no gotten. It's not that King James Version. In whom there is no guile. In whom there's no deceit. In whom there's no uh, falsehood. You're all Israel and no Jacob, Jesus is saying to Nathaniel. You're all Israel and no Jacob. And Nathaniel says, about me we this is the first time we've met and jesus replies and says well i actually saw you underneath the fig tree before philip called you which the point there isn't to try to for us to try and figure out what's what happened under the fig tree Um, the point is is that jesus is displaying some supernatural knowledge the fig tree is a is an image and in the in a place where you would go to pray and to meditate under its shade um in the Old Testament, in the scriptures, and in, in, in um, ancient writings. So we can surmise is that Nathaniel was, it was obviously a significant moment for Nathaniel, a moment of prayer and reflection and meditation, and maybe asking to see the Messiah. And Jesus says, I saw you there. Jesus is displaying some supernatural knowledge. He's displaying some evidence through Nathaniel's presence. And Nathaniel responds, you're the king of Israel. Jesus says, you're Israel. And Nathaniel says, you're the king of Israel. You're my king. You're my Lord. You're my teacher. You're my rabbi. You're my messenger. I'm coming under your authority. I'm coming under your instruction. I'm binding my life to your life. And I want to learn as you learn. And so it becomes a Kairos moment for Nathaniel. As he says, you are my king. You are the you are the the Messiah. You are the King of Israel. And Jesus then says to him in verse fifty, He says, "You believe because I told because I told you I saw you under the fig tree. You shall see greater things than that." He then added, "I tell you the truth, you shall see heaven opened, and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man." to understand in order to grasp the point the first is this um per this this title son of man the son of man is a taken from daniel chapter 7 if you take your bibles and you turn to daniel 7 you have to see this daniel is a um is a prophetic writing apocalyptic in in nature um there are all kinds of imagery and all kinds of visions of the future and all kinds of behind the scenes um, of, of what's going on in the spiritual realm. And in Daniel chapter 7, in verse 9, he says, as I looked, thrones were set in place and the ancient of days took his seat. Who's the ancient of days? God. God is the ancient of days. The ancient of days took his seat. His clothing was as white 
as snow. The hair of his head was white like wool. His throne was flaming with fire, and its wheels were all ablaze. A river of fire was flowing, coming out from before him. Thousands upon thousands attended him. Ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court was seated, and the books were open. So we have this vision of God and his splendor and his majesty in heaven. You know, fire and and thousands and ten thousands of angels worshiping before him. And the books are open. And I continued to watch, verse 11, because the boastful words, the horn was speaking. I kept looking until the beast was slain and its body destroyed and thrown into the blazing fire. So there's this, this vision of judgment going on. Verse 13, in my vision at night I looked and there before me was one like a son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached, the Son of Man approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. He, the Son of Man, was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All peoples, nations, and men of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that shall not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. And so we have this vision of the, and so the Israelites, the, the people of God were in the, in the Old Testament period were waiting for the Son of Man and they were trying to figure out who is this Son of Man? Who is this one who can approach the throne of God with boldness and with confidence and who can th- then be given a dominion and sovereign power and authority and glory and form a kingdom from every tribe and tongue and language and people group? Who is this Son of Man? And Jesus says, I am. He's giving these first disciples a clue to who he is. He's giving them a behind-the-scenes look. And he says, I'm the Son of Man. I'm the Son of Man. And he says, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Which takes us back to Jacob again. You see, when Jacob was fleeing from his brother Esau, he was, he was running back to his father's homeland, or to, to Abraham's homeland. And he one night fell asleep, and he had a vision. And if you have been following along in our reading plan that uh, we've published, then you read this this past week, right? In Genesis 28, 29, and in and around there. In Genesis 28, it says he had a dream in which he saw a stairway resting on the earth, a stairway to heaven is more than a song I know better backwards than forwards because of the few passages in the Hebrew. But anyhow, so he had a dream in which he saw a stairway to heaven resting on the earth with its top reaching to heaven and the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And Jacob wakes up from that dream and he says in verse 16 of Genesis 28, he says, when Jacob awoke from his sleep, he thought, surely the Lord is in this place. How awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God. And so he called that place Bethel, which means house of God. Jacob has a dream. It's a connecting point between heaven and earth. And he says, this is the house of God. And Jesus says to his disciples, you will see heaven open. And you won't see angels ascending and descending on a ladder on a stairway to heaven. You won't see that. You will see angels ascending and descending on the Son of Man. He says, I am Jacob's ladder. I am the stairway to heaven. I am the open heaven. For 500 years, the people of God had been desiring an open 
heaven, dreaming of an open heaven, dreaming of a connecting point between heaven and earth. And Jacob dreamed it, and Jesus says, I'm the reality. Uh, And so the disciples have a Kairos moment and a Kronos minute. They're going about the days of their life, the minutes and days and weeks and months and years of their lives. And there is then an interruption. There is a divine appointment. And Jesus, we need to see, we need to see this. We need to see how Jesus addresses them, how Jesus begins this statement. It's so important to what it means to follow Jesus, to have a a, a Kairos moment. Jesus begins, and he says, um, he says it's verse 51. He says, NIV translates it, I tell you the truth. The King James, the old King James says, verily, verily, I say unto you. No one understands what that means. It, the literally in Greek it says, Amen and Amen. Amen and Amen. You will see heaven and open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Amen and Amen. Well, we know the word Amen. It's something we say at the end of prayer, right? Or if you're in a Pentecostal church, it's something you say at the end of, you know, when so- someone says something that you agree with, you sh- everyone says, Amen, right? We're, we're getting there. Um, This is a Jesus exclusive. This is only Jesus says amen at the beginning and then says something. Amen is always something that you say in response to, uh, in order to affirm and approve and accredit the words of another person. It's usually, it's, it's agreement at the end of something and Jesus begins with amen and amen. Not just one amen, there's two amens. And then he says it. And then he says what he wants to say. And you know what? If you read the Gospels, he, he uses this often. And Jesus is the only one who does that. He's like, amen and amen. Now let me tell you what I'm going to say. So what it means to follow Jesus is that even when he says something you don't like, it's true. You follow it. You agree with it. Even if it's something you don't want to do, you follow it. Even if it's something you don't, agree, you don't feel like, you don't, you don't want it to be true, but you believe it to be true. Even if it's a direction you don't want to go, you go because it's amen and amen. Jesus said it. I follow. I take the hands off the wheel of my life. I I, I lose responsibility for directing the affairs of my life. It's his way. It's his way. Even when it makes no sense to me. Even when I don't like it because he's the son of man. He's the son of man to whom all glory and dominion and and, and authority has been given. Don't you think a person like that would contradict you in some ways of some kind? Don't you think a person with that kind of wisdom would have an understanding that surpasses yours once in a while? Don't you think a person like that would have a sense of justice and rightness and goodness and truth that would surpass your understanding of those things every once in a while. That sometimes Jesus will contradict what you feel and what you want and what you like. And to follow Jesus is to say, give the amen before he says it. To follow Jesus is to give the amen before he says it. 
says, you, and that's a plural you. Do you see that again? Remember with Philip, the, his I became the we? Well, Jesus says, I tell you the truth. He's talking to Philip, with Nathaniel, sing, singular. I tell you, I say this to you, y'all, you all will see heaven and earth. And he shares it to everyone. He says, you all will hear me someday. In your time, in your place, in the chronos minutes of your life, you'll have a heart connection. And you'll experience that, that I am that connection point to heaven right now. I am the open heaven. I am the open heaven. I am Jacob's ladder. Because he's God with us. God comes to tabernacle among us. He'll come and live with us, God is our witness. He's moved into the neighborhood. He's living on our street. He's our witness. Heaven has come to us so that we could experience these Kairos moments of hearing him say, follow me. Be my disciple. Be disciplined by me. And friends, that sometimes means you have to subjugate our current desires for the sake of a higher goal so that all other pursuits become secondary in our life so that we could follow Jesus even if you don't know him become a full time student of Jesus become a disciple of Jesus to, to be a disciple to call him rabbi as Mr. Jesus did says I'm becoming a full time student and that's not the pansy full-time student experience that we know. Remember, you go to school for 16 hours a day. These guys were moving rocks. They were saying, all of my life, coming under your authority, coming into contact with you 24-7, 365 years together within this building, I'm coming under your authority and coming under your instruction and coming to bring my life to look like yours. So I pray that this morning would be a Kairos moment for you. And maybe there's something in your life where you know, you know what God's calling you to. Maybe you, you call yourself a follower of Jesus. And you know that God is calling you to do something, to obey in this way, and you don't want to. You're resisting him. You're resisting him. Jesus, you say to us, follow me, that you give us the grace we need to follow you this morning so that we will follow you. We will be your disciples. We will learn from you. Thank you, Father, that uh, we don't have to have it all together. I think that your grace, uh, Jesus, you have paid the price for all of our sins, for all of our failures, for all of our wandering